Um, okay, so I don't know if other people have this experience. Um, when I was in college, I, uh, I was going to school um, in uh, Alberta, and so I would fly like four or five times a year from uh, um, Alberta across here. And this sort of pattern developed where I'd have to pee like really bad. It doesn't matter how many times I went pee. Um, you know, up until the flight actually took off, I, I would have to pee. And I've discovered that actually happens when I have to preach as well. So uh, <laughs> I was like, this water bottle is a gift, but is it a gift? I don't know. <laughs> we'll find out. We'll find out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All righty. Well, listen, guys, um, I, I'm, I think I'm excited. Excited is the wrong word. This is, uh, this is going to be a special time for me. Um, I think any time that God invites someone to step into something that makes them a little uncomfortable, it, it always can be special for them because God is there with them. And so I'm very, very aware of the fact that this isn't just me up here. This is, this, this is me, uh, me and Jesus. And so he and I are spending some time together. And uh, I just really invite you to... Um, yeah, have your hearts open and to hear what God has for us. So let me just open up a prayer and then we'll just dive in. Father, you're good. And um, as, as Nikki and the team just uh, said so eloquently that you love us, you're with us in the highlands, you're with us in the heartache, you know, the afflictions that we experience, they are eclipsed by your glory. Um, and God, you, you have more to say about that. And I'm really excited to be st spending some time with my friends here and spending some time with you and help me to hear your voice. Help me to be sensitive to your, to your leading. Thank you, Jesus. So um, Nikki messaged me like on Monday saying, hey, do you have like a topic for what you're preaching about? Because like God's really been speaking to me a lot um, about love. And so I feel like there's like a lot of the, the songs are going to be about love. And it's like, wow, I, I didn't really have something nailed down. It was like, I kind of had this sense that, you know, God wanted to share about his father's heart. And I was like, oh, that's great. So like love and father's heart, like anytime you get to talk with that, it's great because, you know, it's the warm fuzzies abound. There's so like, you just, so I was like going through the scripture and just this, enormous stack of verses about how much God loves us and how faithful he is. And I was like, man, there's so many great sermon titles. And I, I had a bunch of them. So my favorite one that I came up with um, is the father's heart, God's affection, loyalty, and his questionable taste in friends. Because really, like, <laughs> none of us really deserve to be God's friends. <laughs> so I was like, okay, God, so let's, let's, uh, let's explore this more. And so I was really pumped and, you know, and then, like, Tuesday or so, uh, God's like, I want you to read Lamentations. I was like, what? <laughs> Lamentations? Has anyone here found themselves in that dark corner of Scripture before? <laughs> yeah, right? It's not really pleasant. Um, I was flipped it open, and the first thing I read was this. All the people groaned, so desperate for food. So desperate to stay alive, they bartered their favorite things for a bit of breakfast. God struck me with lightning. He skewered me from head to foot. He set traps all around so I could hardly move. He left me with nothing, left me sick, sick of living. I'm a man who has seen trouble, trouble coming from the lash of God's anger. 
He's given me the back of his hand over and over again. He turned me into a scarecrow of skin and bones, and then he broke the bones. It's like, yeah, God's father heart coming through real strong here. <laughs> and I was like really confronted with some really like difficult things. Like I don't like, well, I didn't like Lamentations. I like it a lot now um, because it, it for like there's these dark, heavy questions that are like best left in the cupboard under the stairs, you know, just like, just ignore it. Just don't, don't try to think about it. Um, this book was probably one of the most devastating pieces of scripture that I've read in a really long time. And, but as I read them and I reread them and I, I listened to it on audio, like over and over again, and I began to see, and God began to reveal to me a really painful beauty, um, in this book. Lamentations, um, it's not immediately obvious who wrote it, but pretty much like most people who know a lot of things about this would ascribe it to Jeremiah. And Jeremiah obviously wrote the book of Jeremiah, um, and he wrote a, an enormous amount of poetry. And Lamentations is a book of poetry, and really it's the work of an artist. It's the work of a poet who's struggling to cope with sweeping catastrophe. Um, the book was written during the fall of Jerusalem. So it's 586 BC, um, uh, Israel found itself in a struggle, power struggle between two of the superpowers of the time, Egypt and Babylon. And they picked Egypt, they allied with Egypt and they picked the wrong side. And so uh, Lamentations is written at the end of an 18 month siege of the city of Jerusalem um, and Starvation is uh, disease, absolutely devastating. This is a, a humanitarian disaster. Um, 18 month siege, Babylon finally breaks through the walls and Nebuchadnezzar says, destroy everything. So that was when King Solomon's temple, it was like the jewel of Jewish culture and Jewish society, just broken, not one stone left on top of the other. In Jeremiah, seeing all this happen. And don't forget, Jeremiah is the guy, he has written and he has been speaking God's heart to the, the Israelite nation for years. He's the one um, who talked about, you know, trusting God, like listening to him. It's like he will lead you step by step. Like he's the one who's been living like just with like a, a, a razor thin membrane between his heart and God's heart for years and he's watching the dismantling of everything he cares about and everything he loves. And he runs unflinchingly through some of the most painful and difficult emotions that humanity can experience. Utter loss, thorough devastation, abject loneliness. Lamentations is a wail of deep sorrow from a person experiencing complete, utter devastation with no relief in sight. And I'm like reading this through and I'm like, God, I don't understand. There's like the father's heart. There's your love. Like I've just read all these verses about your love and your faithfulness. And then the language of lamentations, like the author, he doesn't pull any punches. He's saying like, God did this to me. God is breaking my bones. God is tearing apart everything that I love. I'm like, these two images, they don't fit in my head. I'm like, God, like, what are you saying through all this? Like, like, what does this mean? Like, where is your, where's your heart? in the midst of calamity. And God is like, yeah, that's the real question, isn't it? 
Like, and I think that's the question that he has for us this morning. Um, have you ever asked yourself that question? You know? Yeah, absolutely. Right? Maybe you screamed it. You know? Maybe you whispered it in the darkness. You know, maybe it's just like a, a turmoil in your heart that never really was expressed. But today we're going to explore that, and we're going to wrestle with pain, and we're going to wrestle with suffering, and uh, we're going to talk about God's judgment, we're going to talk about his punishment, um, and say, like, does that have a place for us today? So there's a few things that really stood out to me about Lamentations. And the, f- the first one I would say is that it is a really meticulously crafted piece of art. Um, it's not really obvious to us because, you know, I don't read Hebrew. Robin reads Hebrew. He's much, much smarter than I am in that area. Uh, what's that? <laughs> um, but it's a meticulously crafted piece of a piece of art, and you really get to see that as you do some research into it, and you understand more about Hebrew poetry. And it's a series of five poems, and each poem, uh, the poems one, two, four, and five, all have 22 verses, and then each verse actually corresponds with one of the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And then chapter three, which is right smack dab in the middle, actually has 66 verses, but those 66, 66 verses are all in groups of three. And each of those three verses start with the same letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So there's like an enormous amount of work and creativity has gone into this piece of art. And so what I what that tells me is that Jeremiah spent an enormous amount of time in this emotion. And it wasn't just like him flying off the handle and screaming at God. It was like him taking all of his pro- things that he was going through and thinking through it carefully and fitting it into this, this, this metered piece of poetry. One of the other thing, really, really cool things that I found out about this book is that um, it follows what's called chiastic structure. And chiastic structure, so it's uh, C-H-I, chi, it's a Greek letter, and it kind of looks like an X. So you can kind of like imagine what an X looks like. And the chiastic structure, basically, it's, it's like imagine the poem moving from the top down to the middle, then down to the bottom again. So it states a series of ideas, and then with the conclusion or the emphasis right in the middle, and then it states the ideas again in reverse form. And so what that helps me to do, what helps us to do is to say, okay, the most important part, the most important conclusion that this book is saying is not the end, it's right in the middle. And so with that in mind, that really equips us to look at limitations from an entirely new perspective. So we're actually going to go and go through and do that. Um, but something else that I really want to say as a bit of an aside here is that Lamentations demonstrates the cathartic nature of art. And this is something that I think gets lost and gets missed quite a bit in, in uh, Christian culture today. Um, people tend to think about art as something that, you know, like... Um, a band would go and do, and that's certainly a band, 100% will do that, or an art is something that a painter will do, and you know, they probably have an Etsy shop, or their art is probably on the walls of a cafe or something like that, and that's 100% true. However, art and the practice of art and the practice of writing, there's something deeply cathartic about that, and I think it's actually a gift from God to allow us and to really help us to process through really tough emotions and really tough experiences that 
can be very difficult to process in any other way. And so I would say that Lamentations, number one, is a really strong encouragement of us and an endorsement of art, an endorsement of creativity as a tool to process difficult things and for God to be able to intersect with us in that. So that's one really cool thing I'll take away. I just wanted to throw that in there on the side. But um, let, let's dig in and look more specifically at the structure of, of Lamentations, starting with ch chapter one and chapter two, then we'll spend some time right in the middle, and then we'll see how chapters three and four actually do reflect what's going on in the first two chapters as well. So chapter one of Lamentations, it really spends time looking at the city of Jerusalem. It's been broken, it's been shattered beyond repair, and the author, the artist, the poet is surrounded by just shocking images. Uh, images of like devastation that just like each one is, seems to be worse than the, worse than the previous. And, and, and this is a, um, kind of a, a chunk from chapter one, I think that, that just captures that really well. For all of this, I weep. I weep buckets of tears and not a soul within miles around cares for me. My children are wasted. My enemy got his way. I reached out for help. Zion reached out for help, but no one helped. God ordered the enemies to surround, and now no one wants anything to do with Jerusalem. Can you identify? You see everything that you care about being destroyed. You feel the loneliness of, of suffering. And you see other people going about their daily lives as though nothing has changed. And your heart is just screaming out, Jeremiah says, God has right on his side. I'm the one who did wrong. Listen, everybody, look what I'm going through. My fair young women, my fine young men, all herded into exile. I called to my friends, but they betrayed me. So here he's talking about, um, so when Nebuchadnezzar came through, tens of thousands of people were slaughtered. And Nebuchadnezzar took the cream of the crop the absolute best, the elite, the artists, the, the scientists, the mathematicians, the elite of the culture was where they were taken away to Babylon. And Daniel and his three friends, they would have been in that group of people. So that kind of helps you kind of see how lamentation sort of fits in with some of the other things. Um, friends were betrayed um, when uh, Egypt, who was the ally of Israel, Egypt actually took off. They ran away. They abandoned their, uh, their new ally to, uh, to Babylon. Um, oh God, look at the trouble I'm in. My stomach is in knots. My heart is wrecked by a life of rebellion. There are massacres in the streets and starvation in the houses. Then chapter 2. So in this chapter, the author recognizes that with the, with the, while the Babylonian armies, they're the ones actually like carrying out the, the attacks uh, and the killings, they're the direct source of like that, the destruction. He can see that it's actually God at work. And he's despairing at the calamity of it all. But at the same time, he's recognizing it for what it is. It's the inevitable follow through of a promise God had made centuries before. So uh, picking up here, this is chapter 2, verse 15. Astonished, people passing by can't believe what they see. They rub their eyes. They shake their heads over Jerusalem. Was this the city voted most beautiful, voted best place to live? But now your enemies gape, slack-jawed, and they rub their hands with glee. We've got them. We've been waiting for this. Here it is. It sounds predatory. 
It sounds like there are people who are just waiting for a chink in your armor, just waiting for weakness before they pounce. God carried out item by item exactly what he said he'd do. He always said he's, he'd do this, and now he's done it. He's torn the place down. He's let your enemies walk all over you. He's declared them world champions. Then a few verses later, look at us, God, think it over. Have you ever treated anyone like this? Should women eat their own babies, the very children they raised? Should priests and prophets be murdered in your own sanctuary? This is the stuff that was happening. Devastation and starvation was so terrible. And also the moral corruption had gotten to such a place where people in desperation of their hunger would, would choose to kill and eat their own kids. It's like that's what that's the 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 quality that the that the society at that time had sunk to. Something that's really important to, to note here is that um, this is not God uh, God's wanton destruction. This is not him just kind of like exercising his anger a little bit and just kind of having a temper tantrum. And we're going to get into that a little bit later. But this, this is the result of the old covenant. This is the result of, um, this is what happens when, uh, we try to live according to the old covenant. Destruction, confusion, conflict, incredible frustration. Those are the inevitable results of trying to live by the old covenant. In chapter three, uh, this is where we see the, I guess the high point or the, the conclusion of the whole thing. We see Jeremiah is really starting to make the disaster personal. Um, and he describes his own suffering and his own personal experience as a result of everything that's going on. He says, I'm a man who has seen trouble, trouble coming from the lash of God's anger. He took me by the hand and he walked me into pitch black darkness. He turned me into a scarecrow of skin and bones, then broke the bones. He hemmed me in and ganged up on me. He locked me up in deep darkness like a corpse nailed inside of a coffin. Even when I cry out and plead for help, he locks up my prayers and throws away the key. And then, halfway through the chapter, we come to the epicenter of the book. We come to the conclusion, the most important piece of this all. I'll never forget the trouble, the utter lostness, the taste of ashes, the poison I've swallowed. I remember it all. Oh, how well I remember the feeling of hitting bottom. But there's one thing I remember and remembering, and in remembering, I keep a grip on hope. God's loyal love could not have run out. His merciful love could not have dried up. They are new every morning. How great is your faithfulness. I'm sticking with God. I say it over and over. He's all I got left. God proves to be good to the one who passionately waits, who diligently seeks. It's a good thing to quietly hope for help from God. It's a good thing to stick it through the hard times when life is heavy and hard to take. Go off by yourself, enter the silence, bow in prayer, don't ask questions, wait for hope to appear. Don't run from trouble, take it full face. The worst is never the worst. Why? Because the master won't ever walk out and fail to return. If he works severely, he also works tenderly. His stockpiles of loyal love are immense. He takes no pleasure in making life hard and throwing roadblocks in the way. 
I, I don't know exactly what was going through God's heart during the destruction of Jerusalem and during the exile. But I feel like he was weeping. I feel like he was crying. I feel like he was, uh, I feel like he was broken up. Um, and not because of, I think he was broken up because of what it had come to. And when, when God first created the covenant, the basis of his relationship with his children, with the Israelites, uh, that was in um, Exodus 20, and that's the Ten Commandments. Um, and God says, here are kind of ten, ten guidelines for you, and then the people of Israel were like, yes, we can do that, we can obey. Uh, that was the first problem, thinking they could do it in their own strength. Um, after that, uh, in the chapters and the books following that, God kind of takes the Ten Commandments and kind of expounds on them and gives more, more clarity and fleshes some specific things out. And one of the things um, that he gets into is he describes what life looks like when you are living according to God's instructions. And he talks about how the, 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 the fertility of, of the land, the agriculture, um, how it will thrive. And there, there are rules that God put down about how you're supposed to treat the land and that will make it thrive. There's, there's law, there, there's, uh, he talks about like what society will be like. He talks about what like the military will be like and the, and the power and the strength that they will experience as a result of living according to God's laws. And then he says, and if you don't live by my laws, this is what life is going to look like. And I don't have time to go through it right now, but in, um, I believe it's uh, Deuteronomy either 28 or 32, I can't remember. Robin would know. If, if he was here, he would know for sure. But um, <laughs> yeah, um, but it's, he goes through saying, you know, you, there, these are the curses you're going to experience. And he lays out very clearly, very specifically. And then all through Lamentations, you see those exact things being spoken of. The one that stood out to me the most was um, people killing and eating their own children. Say that's what's going to happen. He said, you're going to have warring nations come upon you and destroy everything. That's what's going to happen. So this, that warning has been just like baked into like the, the, the Jewish religious system for centuries. Like looking back, I went through, I was looking at the, like the, the general timelines. And it looks like there were approximately a thousand years between when the Ten Commandments were put in place and when Jerusalem was torn down. When, when Lamentations was written. For a thousand years, this warning has been there. And think about this kind of the cycle, the Old Testament cycle of like, of, um, you know, the people falling away and then God sends a prophet or a king or a judge or something like that. And then they lead the people back to God. There's this, constantly this cycle going on. And it got to a place where the people stopped listening. And that's like all the, the minor prophets. So a lot of those smaller books in the Old Testament that we don't spend a lot of time in, some of them are really short, like a, just a, just one chapter. And all of them are pointing to injustice. They're pointing to corruption. They're pointing to all of these things that had like made their way into the society of Israel and Jerusalem at the time and saying, listen, guys, like God has said what's going to happen if we don't shape up. Come on, we got to shape up. And people were ignoring them. So this has been centuries of people completely ignoring what God had said was going to happen. And they're choosing to indulge in like, and, and the worst parts of, of their human nature. And they built a society around that. 
And like, God's up. I, time's up, guys. Like, I, I had to believe it broke his heart to see that happening. I had to believe it. I ha- In chapters four and five of, of Lamentations, um, we see the, 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 the themes in, in chapters two and uh, chapter one and two um, being repeated. Um, it it kind of feels like, you know, Jeremiah slides back into, into dismay. Um, now, chapter four, he's revisiting this, this, the chapter two theme of people suffering at the hands of their attackers. However, there's a twist in chapter four. There's a, a slight ray of hope um, that, that he, he adds in here. And so verse 17, we watched and watched. We wore our eyes out looking for help and nothing. We mounted the lookouts and looked for the help that never showed up. They tracked us down, those hunters. It wasn't safe to go out in the street. Our end was near. Our days were numbered. Um, dropping down a, a, a few verses. Um, he says, celebrate while you can, Edom. Live it up in us. Edom was a... Actually, I'll finish and then I'll explain. Celebrate while you can, O Edom. Live it up. It won't be long before you drink this cup too. You'll find out what it's like to drink God's wrath, to get drunk on it and wake up with nothing, stripped naked. But that's it for you, Zion. The punishment is complete. You won't have to go through this again. But Edom, your time is coming. He'll punish your evil life and put all of your sins on display. This is one of the, uh, this is another jewel in Lamentations. And what this is, is reminding, um, Israel and what Jeremiah is reminding himself of is that as terrible and horrible and absolutely devastating as what I'm experiencing right now is, there's, there's an expiration date. It's going to be over. This is not going to last forever. And he also takes comfort in knowing the, the people, the, the nations that are finding pleasure in our destruction, their, their punishment is coming. And it's going to be worse, and it's going to be permanent. One thing that's interesting um, is that Edom, uh, so E-D-O-M, uh, so it's a small nation that was kind of bordering Israel, and throughout all of uh, Israel's history, they've been just a constant thorn in the side, a constant uh, source of, of, of nagging and conflict and frustration. And a lot, um, a lot of scholars look at that and they say, Edom is a picture of the flesh um, in our life today. Edom is a picture of of indwelling sin. It's of that little voice that's always prompting and, 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 uh, and feeding you with false desires to sin, false desires to, to live, uh, not according to the spirit, but to walk according to the flesh. And its days are numbered. Like that, we're not going to have that all the time. Um, and there's a, there's a final and a, there's a, a final and a, and a permanent punishment coming for um for for our enemy for satan and we're living in a time when there are i wasn't really planning on going in this direction but there's we're living in a time where there's a hundred percent demonic activity and there's a hundred percent there is oppression that all of us experience but there's an expiration date on that and one the ones who have um the ones who are uh, allowed to torment us now, there's a final permanent end and there's a final permanent destruction coming for them. And there's a, there's a special comfort we can find in that as well. 
Our suffering is temporary and it has an expiration date, but there's a far worse and a far more permanent judgment coming for our oppressors. The final chapter um, of, of Lamentations, it revisits a theme for chapter one, but there's a progression, this core idea as well. And chapter five is a prayer. The rest of it, uh, the rest, the other four chapters was called the dirge, where it's, they're, they're, they're poems, they're just sad poems. Whereas chapter five is different in that, in that it's a prayer. So it's, it's directed at God. Um, the first portion of the prayer describes the humiliation and the pain that's going on. But the second uh, portion is a request for restoration. Um, so picking that up, the crown of glory has toppled from our head. Oh, that we had never sinned. Because of all of this, we're heartsick. Uh, we can't see through the tears. On Mount Zion, wrecked and ruined, jackals pace and prowl. Mount Zion is where uh, Solomon's temple had been built. And it was a sign, like, you know, you look to that, and it was a picture of God's presence. And it was a picture of of the, the technological achievement and the artistic achievement of culture, um, of the uh, of the culture of the day. Um, and now that hill is empty. It's gone. And it's a place for wild animals to make homes. It's no longer a place of honor. And yet, God, you're sovereign still. Your throne is intact and eternal. Why do you keep forgetting us? Why do you dump us and leave us like this? Bring us back to you, God. We're ready to come back. Give us a fresh start. Unless you've cruelly disowned us, you've been so very angry with us. Had God disowned them? Had he abandoned them? Not at all. Like that's, that's not aligned with the character of God that Jeremiah himself knew. Jeremiah had spent so much time with God and like with, he understood God's heart in a way that no one else of that time did. And he knew that God had not disowned them and he knew um, that he, God had not abandoned them. And so that statement is actually a reminder to himself that God has not done these things. And because of that, I can count on restoration coming. This final verse is not Jeremiah throwing in the towel. It's reminding God and reminding himself that restoration was promised and mourning was coming. And that's one of the really cool things, even about the, the, the chapter in Deuteronomy, where God is going out talking about all the curses that are going to come if you fail to keep the covenant. Because at the very end, it says, but there will be restoration. I will bring you back. Like, it doesn't end there. The story continues, and it has a good ending. So I want to jump into um, a few other, uh, I think, key messages for us. And um, the first one, I think, is that Lamentations demonstrates that God has the ultimate authority over suffering. And this is a real thorny thing to think about. There are some teachers out there that would say that suffering in your life, the pain, that's only because of sin. It's, uh, it, we live in a broken world, and it's par for the course of, broke, of, the, of the broken world, but it has nothing to do with God, because God is only love, and so nothing like painful or uncomfortable could, could, is ever something that's from God. And frankly, I don't know how someone can come to that conclusion if they have read the book of Lamentations. 
or if they've lived on earth. <laughs> um, reading through this book, there's never a single doubt about the um, who was behind the events of Lamentations. Every chapter clearly points to God as the one responsible for the events unfolding. And for me, this brings up some really tough questions that I would much rather uh, not think about. You know, if God did that to Israel, is he also behind the pain and the suffering in my life? That's a super, super loaded question. Um, in Lamentations, you know, Jeremiah, he knew that God had promised, he'd foretold the events that were happening. Um, God had warned Israel countless times over centuries through prophet after prophet um, that this was coming. And like we were kind of talking, talking about earlier, like that society at the time, the culture of Jerusalem had been completely built around like sinful corruption. Um, and Jeremiah knew that this was coming. He knew it was, it was, it, but it didn't make it any easier for him to experience it all. Uh, the, the experience was still terrible. The judgment that he was seeing actually was required according to the old covenant that God had set up. Now, here's the really important part. Um, that old covenant is no longer in place. Judgment was required under the old covenant. Basically, the old covenant was, if you obey, you're blessed. If you don't obey, you're cursed. So like, okay, well, let's try hard to obey. But that, that is null and void. That doesn't count anymore. Christ has accepted and taken on all, all, all of God's judgment and all of God's punishment. That means that the difficult things in your life are not God judging you. They're not God punishing you. If you're a believer, your relationship with God is governed by a new covenant. And as a believer, you are in Christ. And you have permanently secured your status with God. As Christ is, so are you. The fact is, you have already been judged. You were judged on the cross with Christ. God poured out the full enormity of his wrath onto Jesus. So as a result, as a result today, you are perfect and blameless in God's sight. God has judged you. And you're coming up aces. There's no need for punishment. There's no need for judgment. Colossians 1.22, he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. So no, your difficult circumstances are not God's judgment or punishment. Okay, that's great. How does that help me make sense of the suffering I'm experiencing today? There are no easy answers, um, but I do have a few things to share um, that I hope will give some insight. First thing, um, we were designed for Eden. And this world 
is not that garden paradise. Uh, we have been exposed to the toxic tragedy of sin. We live in a broken world. And our Father, who loves us deeply, he has solved the root problem. He's given us the new heart. That's the, that's the root problem. We've had heart surgery. We've got our, you know, uh, the Old Testament talk, I think it's in Psalms, he says, I will take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, like a soft uh, heart that's responsive, that's alive to God. So that's the reality. However, anybody who's had a difficult surgery knows that there's recovery. And recovery can be long and it can be really painful, but it can be really, really good. And it, it's, it's a really important part. And as I've been wrestling with this, um, this question about making sense of my suffering and my pain and the difficulties in my life, God is saying, you know, Josh, part of it is par for the course because we live in a, in a, in a sin-soaked, broken environment. Like, that's just... He's like, but I also want you to know that there's redemption for every bit of suffering and difficulty that you're experiencing. And that's the message that I want everybody to walk away from here today, is that we're going through really difficult things, and if we allow them to, they can be like physio. It's like we've, we've been walking according to the flesh. That's our, that, that, that was our default setting for so, so long. But now God is teaching us to walk according to the Spirit. We're having to use muscles we've never used before. And God is willing to, and he, he longs to allow, uh, to help us to, to um, use the difficulties in our life as a, uh, as a way of helping us to gain intimacy with him and helping us to trust him more and more and more. So while the suffering and the pain that we're experiencing every day, while that, well, there's no, like those are not a reflection of our standing with Christ. Those can be surgical tools that God is using in our life, helping us to bring more and more healing and more and more trust, help us to experience more and more and more the, the, the perfection of healing that he's done to our hearts. You know, and sometimes those surgical tools uh, are nice and it's like a massage. It's like, oh, working the kinks out of that muscle, man, that feels really, really good. And that's just, it's such a pleasant, like strengthening experience. And God has those for you, 100%. That's part of the, the way that he's helping you to, to, to live out the health that he's put inside of you. And sometimes it, they're hard things. And it's like a sharp scalpel that cuts deep. And that hurts a lot. And there are things that we go through that hurt a lot. And we don't understand what the surgeon is doing. But like Jeremiah, we can trust that the one holding the scalpel is good. And he loves us deeply. And he only has our best at heart. And it's not an extension of his anger. He's not angry anymore. It's not an extension of it. It's not judgment. It's like you're not being punished it's God wants to, to redeem the difficult things that happen to us because of the broken world. And he wants to bring his redemption to those and use them for our good and for our benefit. Now, is that a slam dunk? Does that happen every single time? Unfortunately, the answer is no. Um, and I just have something that I really felt like God wanted to say. Um, he says to this, to each of us here, my child, I have thought long and hard. I've carefully weighed each step of your journey. And I have 
considered each moment of pain that you are going to move through. And I promise you, nothing you go through will be unnecessary. And I promise you that nothing you experience will be wasted. And I promise you that all of it plays a role in redemption. And through your journey, I give you permission to not understand. I give you permission to be furious with me. I give you permission to express the darkest thoughts. But I also ask you, do you want me to keep going? Do you want him to continue the work of bringing healing? Do you want him to continue to help you to experience trust, to experience intimacy? Do you want him to stop? My child, will you risk one more step with me? Father, you are very good. And Lamentations paints a very difficult picture. It paints a picture of devastation and calamity and uh, disaster. And it paints a picture of, of suffering, intense personal suffering. But embedded in this book, Father, are deep, true, special promises. We can trust your character. We can trust the big picture. We can trust your, that it's safe. It's safe to express ourselves. We can trust that your mercies are new every morning. We can trust that you deal firmly but tenderly. And we can trust that you, you will never abandon us. And God, I for one choose to put my full weight on that. And I don't want you to stop the recovery process for me. I don't want you to stop. I want you to keep going. But thank you for respecting me enough to give me that option. Help me to risk taking another step with you in the face of my suffering and difficulty. Amen.